The next lesson comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Morning. The third reading today is from Mark 12, from verse 24. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. God, may what we say, may what we hear, may what we know be affected by your Holy Spirit as you come to us now and give to us the aha experiences of hearing what comes from you, which is your will, your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's uh, coming up to the end of the year. And in church year, this is the last Sunday of the year because it's Christ the King Sunday. And next week we start in Advent and uh, we go through this cycle in the seasons of the church going from uh, the expectation of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, uh, into the uh, 
uh, the Easter, into Lent, into Easter, at the death and resurrection of Jesus. We then go into celebrating the beginning of the church, which was at Pentecost and the coming of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then we go into what I love, called the Ordinary Sundays. The Ordinary Sundays are fantastic. Um, I uh, belong to, uh, I'm a consultant to, belong to an Anglican church uh, in North London. I, I'm actually in membership in at least four churches around the world. And people say to me, are you, are you Anglican? Well, I am for part of the year. Uh, and uh, uh, we work across the board. There's church consultants uh, from Orthodox churches, the Catholic, to Anglican, to Lutheran, to uh, mainline evangelicals, Pentecostal churches. Uh, and it's such a privilege to see God at work in all the different sandpits and flavours called the body of Christ. I'm one of those weird people that believes in denominations and they are all a gift of God. All a gift of God. And each has a particular strength, like in the body, so therefore they have come into, into being generally because of renewal and revivals in the church. And so it's fascinating as we go through the ordinary, you then come to this point, the pinnacle, which is Christ the King Sunday. This is the end of the year. And we're coming to the end of 2018. We're about to come in 2019. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? In 2018, we have more slaves in the world now than any other point of human history. How the heck does that happen? And yet when we go through the scriptures, we see that the Bible is this incredible library of books that tells a narrative that tells a story. I hate verses. Now remember, the books in the Bible were never written as chapters and verses. They're meant to be a narrative, a story. And as one of my early teachers used to say, as we often do with verses... Uh, text without context is pretext. In other words, sometimes it's dangerous just to take a verse out because you've got to see it as a part of the story of either the writing of uh, the books which are history, to those which are inspiration, to those which are prophetic, to those which are literature, to those are philosophy. I, I love Ecclesiastes, or Eccles as we used to call it. Uh, Eccles is one of my favourite books. I, I have a bent for philosophy. And uh, so in it is this incredible grappling with the big questions. And it flows through that to the coming of Jesus into uh, the, the, the Acts, which is that hinge book. Now, we've got to read Luke and Acts together because they're both written by Acts to the same person. It may have been an individual or it might mean, as uh, Theophilus says, uh, a searcher after God. So people are searching after God, whichever. It's a story and narrative of the Jesus story and then what happened when Jesus leaves. Because at the beginning of Acts, we see this incredible little story where Jesus has appeared 40 times since the resurrection. And that's significant. 40 keeps coming up again and again in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is a numerologist's dream. Uh, and, and so there's this 40, the significant, like a significant time and they're walking down to Galilee, and the disciples say to Jesus, and now, and now, are you finally, is it going to happen? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Other words, like it was 
In the glory days when we had power. In the glory days when David was feared by all the nations and Solomon was rich and powerful. And now you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Because remember, they very embarrassingly are the people of God where God says, uh, you're my people, I'm your God, and I will be with you and protect you. And they are overrun by a pagan force, a pagan culture, a pagan nation by Rome. So you get the context? And now, are you going to free us from this slavery, this spiritual slavery, this cultural slavery that we're in? And Jesus says, after all this time, surely, don't you get it? If there was a Simpsons version of the Bible, Jesus at that point would have said, (laughs) don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It blew open the imagination that the people of Israel were the people and the only people who were going to be saved. It was a universal salvation. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to all who believe in him. May not perish, but have eternal life. But then it's fascinating. Uh, You take that verse out of context, oh, you will never understand it. It's to whom? Nicodemus. He is a part of the ruling party. He is powerful. He comes from a rich family. He comes to Jesus because he's trying to work out some of the big questions and says, what must I do to eternal life? He says, good teacher. What do I do? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. What? You know, how can I get back in my mother's womb? No, no, no. You don't get it, says Jesus. Uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that all those who believe in him may not perish in eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You've got to read that verse, verse 17, with verse 16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that it might be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be redeemed. Now, the word redemption and the word redeemed that comes through in the Bible was based upon an understanding that you went to the slave market and you bought a slave and you freed them. Redemption is based on an understanding of slavery. And so you are free then to do that. So we see this phenomenal flow through the story of Jesus into Acts. And through Acts, we see a reorientation of reference points. It goes from the past. Do you remember? And they they would celebrate the past in the festivals. Three festivals was mandatory for all males. Then they got smart and they'd take their, their wives and their women and their children as well. We get that, you know, with Jesus going to Jerusalem when he's 12 years of age. And so it was reenacting the story of the past. But it was not to dwell in the past. It was to prepare for the future. It was a hope for when the kingdom was going to fully come. And so Luke takes us through Acts. And it's the story of looking backwards to looking forward. This is what's going to happen. Redemption is going to fully come. Freedom is fully going to come. And guess what? You are the strategy. The church is God's strategy 
of how this is going to happen. God's people is the strategy how this is going to happen. One of the joys of working in Stop the Traffic, one of the joys of working with Soul Survivor, and we just love Soul Survivor, because Soul Survivor is so holistic. You get the experience of the Spirit and the ministry in the Spirit. You get uh, areas of justice. You get areas of serving others. And the most important thing we can do with our young people, Peter, as we were talking about yesterday morning up the coast, Central Coast, is how do we teach young people to make decisions? In education and schools, David. That's one of the most important things we do. As parents, it's one of the most important things we do. How do we help our young people to make decisions? Uh, Psalm uh, 127 says, And pass on the knowledge of the Lord to your young people from generation to generation. It's an ongoing, it's a universal thing we pass it on. Slavery is the antithesis of this. The, 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 the hope, the, the pointing, the reference points goes from as it was and what God did. I'm the Lord your God and I freed you out of slavery in Egypt. How many times do we hear that in the Old Testament? It was a part of the covenant. The new covenant was I am freeing you and I'm freeing you to free the world. Go to all people everywhere and make them my, not converts, disciples and teach them to do what I have done is actually one of the most accurate translations of Matthew 28 20. Teach them to do what I've done. In other words Jesus had modeled it. Jesus spent his life freeing people. Please don't take my word for it. Go read all the gospels for yourselves and ask the question when you're reading it what reality is Jesus bringing in here and what freedom is Jesus bringing to these people? What's the redemption? What price is he going to pay? But what is the point of the price that's paid so that we might be free to free others? There are at least 50 million people in slavery around the world. Our connection in Australia is very, very strong. Do we have a lot of slavery in Australia? Not happening with our shores. It does happen. We may have up some estimates, guesstimates, seven to 8,000 in Australia. Most of our connection with slavery is in the things that we buy. Our economic policy has been that manufacturing goes offshore and more and more we are sourcing from uh, agricultural products and fishing products from around the world. It's a part of the global economy. The global economy is working on this interconnectedness of globalism so that we take cheap labour from those countries that uh, are not developed or developing and we have never ever in the history of humanity ever seen the mass movement of people like we're seeing at the moment. We have more migrant workers in the, in the world now and it's something around 40 million migrant workers. And that is where one of the biggest coverings is happening for slavery. How does that happen? Well, it's like the person that I met last year. Uh, we were at a conference in Bangkok together. He's from Myanmar, what we used to call Burma. Uh, his family realised that the rice crops, because of the changing in climate, was declining and declining, and they were going to starve. But it wasn't hard to work out. Farmers are smart. They see and hear with their hands. They are practical people. They work with the environment. They work with the creation. So they said, what are we going to do? 
So they came up with this idea to, 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 so we're working it out so we don't starve. We'll send one of us across to Thailand to work, they can send money back home, which will help us at least to make it through uh, the period of trying to work out what we're going to do. They raised the money that was needed, they thought, uh, pulled everything the extended family had and, uh, and owed and could borrow about $1,000. It kind of cost $2,000. The agent said, hey, I can get him there, I can get him a job, it'll be $2,000. US Okay, I'll take your 1000 you can pay it off over the next three, five more years. There'll be plenty of money to send back home then. Hand him across to another agent in Thailand, and the agent said, okay, after you've taken his papers, which is a part of slavery, freedom is taken away, identity papers are taken away. And they said, uh, so you know us $2,000. Oh, no, 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 we negotiated this with the agent in uh, Myanmar. We paid him 1000 we'll pay back the 1000 No, 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 you owe me $2,000. I've got your papers, I know where you come from, you try and escape, and we'll maim or we'll kill members of your family back home. They put him on a boat. You'll be out here for a while paying this off. They involved in transshipment, which means they catch fish, they take it to a ship, the ship gives them supplies, they can stay out for a long time. He came into port a couple of times. He never walked on land for 17 years. After 17 years, uh, they found him, uh, he got out of there, no money. His family thought that he was dead. And of course, massively, massively affected by post-traumatic stress disorder. A person we were working with in Tamil Nadu in India, and uh, there there's a scheme called the Samangali scheme that we've been campaigning on and campaigning with the people there. And uh, what happens is that they are taken from as young as 11, 12 years of age. It's not legal to work in India until you're 18. They take, and they call it a training program. We work with us for three years, and after three years, you'll make enough money to buy a husband. That's how it works there. Illegal as it is, uh, you have a dowry, you can buy a husband. And so um, most of them never get to do it. They will change factories at the last minute. Oh, no, you've got to start again now. Oh, no, probably only about 18 or 19 percent actually get the money at the end. And we're talking about uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of women. It is where 25 to 28 percent of the cotton T-shirt material is made in the world. In the world. It's called Dollar City. They say if you want to know what the fashion colours are going to be in Paris in six weeks' time, have a look at the colour of the rivers around here. And so uh, Carolyn came across a, 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 a female who was, had worked there. The conditions are chronic. Uh, she got sick. They, uh, they say, oh, you're going to live in a great hostel. You'll have a swimming pool. No swimming pools. The hospitals, you get a bed for 12 hours. Then you go to work and the people who've been working come back and somebody else takes your bed. Uh, in a space like mm, this room in the, in the church here, they would probably sleep something like 200 females. They've got to sleep on their side because there's not enough room to sleep on their back most times. And so uh, she said, I got sick and uh, I, I uh, eventually collapsed. They took me to the hospital, uh, they checked me out, they operated and they took out 2.3 kilograms of cotton fibre that I had ingested. That's the sort of conditions. A lot of times their organs fail because of the heat they're constantly kept in, in the places, in the machines that they have got to work with. And many of them do not make it. Uh, this is slavery. Uh, 
most of what we have in our connections are in things like the fashion industry and uh, Baptist World Aid uh, and uh, Cliff, you're telling me that you have been using the ethical guides uh, for uh, fashion. Uh, brilliant. They're one of our uh, strongest partners, Baptist World Aid, uh, and their electronics guide. Uh, when they first started doing that four and a half years ago, only 18% of the companies knew where their clothes were being made of the top 200 fashion labels in Australia. Since they've been doing that, now 88% know where their clothes come from. Oh, what the people of God can do. For we were created in power and we were created in the image of God. And the great identity we had was we have the power to choose. We have the power to choose. As we are given at Pentecost the Holy Spirit, we've got the power to choose to discern, to use our gifts and to change the world. To go to all people everywhere and make them disciples. And to bring in justice into the world. For we are redeeming. We're in the ministry of redemption. There's a person that uh, we discovered who led us into uh, hearing the story uh, about the Dalit freedom movement in India. The Dalit are the untouchables. And they started working, first of all, um, with the Dalit. The Dalit gathered all the mission agencies in India together in the churches and said, why have you forsaken us? We used to be your major, major focus for your mission. Now it's the upper castes, you know, the caste system that happens in India. In the cosmology of Hinduism, different castes are made in different images of uh, different parts of the god. So the Brahmins are made from the head, business is made from the heart, others are made from the hands, the arms, the legs, etc. But the Dalit are not made from any part of the gods. But everybody knows the inference. They're made of the excrement of the gods. So they're not human beings. So the uh, um, uh, Jogany women who uh, generally come from a family of poor families, untouchables, Dalit, and uh, they uh, are married to a deity when they are children. So when they reach puberty, they basically become temple prostitutes. So on a high festival day, they cannot refuse any male having sex with them. And you would think, what? Dalit, if a Dalit's shadow crosses uh, upper caste, they've got to go and wash themselves and ritually clean themselves, but they can have sex with one of these jogany women. It's not adultery, because they are not considered to be human beings. So what happens is that uh, the head of OM uh, got on his hands and knees. He was the chair of the uh, Indian Christian Council, went across and kissed the feet of the leaders of the Dalit association and said, I am so sorry. I repent. You are right. We have done the wrong thing. They worked with them. They said, the first, the best thing we can do is to educate you and educate your children in English. English is the business language and English is the academic language. And so they started to work with them. And in that process, they started to get jobs and opportunities like they'd never seen before. They came to them. They said, why are you doing this? Well, they said, we're doing this because this is what Jesus would have us do. This is justice. This is wrong because we believe, we believe that everybody is made in the image of God. And everybody is equal. Can you hear how that is gospel to a Dalit person that says you're made out of the poo of the gods? I'm being very polite. 
And so in that, you know, they tell us more. What do you mean we're made in the image of the God? Well, the amazing thing was they said, tell us more about this sort of Christianity. So they told them. They started to come to faith. They then started to come along to churches. But the churches, of course, were full of upper caste people who said, look, this is really embarrassing, but they are a totally different culture. You need to have fellowship with them and gather them together. Or they started doing that and they soon realised they needed to plant churches with them. They've now planted 5,000 churches uh, across India with these. They now have 128 schools. They now have uh, about 38 different um, 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 clinics and going into hospitals. They have their own teacher's college, their own theological college. Uh, they become a part of the Anglican Communion uh, called the Good Shepherd Church. Can you hear the redemption of taking slaves, people downtrodden? The Dalit Association teaches us that there are, at least in their guesstimation, 22 million Dalit in India alone in slavery or slavery-like conditions. Alone. See, what the gospel does, it raises us up to understand who we are, but also raises us up as God's people to realise the power that God gives to us to make a difference in the world. So we have been working frantically for the last two years. We started campaigning the government, federal government, 2011. Slavery is a federal offence in Australia, that we need a modern slavery act. UK brought one in in 2006. It was weak, uh, and we learnt from that. All my geek friends say, never, ever buy first edition of Apple or Microsoft. It is full of problems. Wait for the second, third or fourth. They, they sort them out as they go along. And we say, thank you, UK, for first edition of a modern slavery act. Uh, and now uh, California state, which has an economy about the size of Australia, uh, has brought in laws. Uh, France has brought in laws. The Dutch have brought in child laws and are working on them more. Uh, Switzerland has brought in a human rights act. Uh, Hong Kong has brought in, uh, has got before them a modern slavery act based on the report done in Australia by the, uh, the parliamentary committee that looked at uh, should we have a modern slavery act like the UK? 28 politicians, one of the biggest committees I've ever worked with in, in government, who came out with a report that uh, Lou DeBacchi, who was the ambassador for the United States uh, for modern slavery and, and trafficking, says is the best government report produced in the world. It is stunning. And so the Modern Slavery Act, which will go up this Tuesday to the Senate, uh, every crack, every moment that we've had the last two years has been trying to get this in. It has the potential to affect hundreds of thousands of workers and people around the world. It may even be millions. It says that it's, it's really a Transparency and Supply Act, which says uh, companies over 100 million turnover then what you now have got to do is to check back through your suppliers and your whole supply chain to check that there's not slavery in your supply chain. And if you find it, you've got to remediate those people. It is going to be a phenomenal act to affect people. I was telling this to Penny Wong, who's the leader of Labor in the, uh, uh, in the Senate, uh, week before last as we presented this um, 
Freedom United and Stop the Traffic petition with 54,917 signatures on it, uh, that, that people saying, we want a robust act that's going to really make a difference in people's eyes. And I started to tell her about what's happening in things like the fishing industry, where the United Nations, United Nations uh, interdepartmental project on, on, on trying to understand about uh, slavery in the fishing industry in Thailand and Southeast Asia, 60% of uh, fishermen on the boats uh, in Thailand say that they have witnessed, 60% say they have witnessed one of their fellow fishermen murdered on a boat. It comes time to come back. They say, yes, we'll give you money when they push them overboard in the open sea. Or he, uh, one of the people I was working with, said, uh, yeah, I, I saw the aftermath where they throw a fish gut out, they get the sharks and they push them into that if they've been troublemakers. This is what we're talking about, the complete destruction of people made in the image of God. But you see, we have the power. In Australia, we have the power because we're a consuming nation. Manufacturing, agriculture and aquaculture has gone offshore. And we are mesmerised by having more and more. The only way we get more and more to be able to consume more and more is either we get more money to buy more or we get things cheaper to buy more. Down, down. Prices are down. Ring any bells? And so what we're seeing is this whole global economy is used so that we can get things cheaper and cheaper. But we've got the power, because we're consuming nations... Because we buy, we've got the power to say, you show us that there's not slavery in your supply chain. And we've turned around the chocolate industry. It's taken us 10 years. And now Nestle, that we, we campaigned with for so many years over the baby milk powder in Africa, and now the leading chocolate company in finding child labour and finding uh, um, the slavery uh, of young people, boys in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Ivory Coast, which is the largest cocoa producing country in the world, produces 37 to 38% of the world's cocoa. Uh, and so they've gone there and they've checked that. It's so good to see redemption in a company. We work with the global leaders in the six biggest chocolate industries uh, and with the processors that uh, buy the cocoa of the people on the farms and uh, they uh, roast it, turn it into cocoa butter and cocoa powder, which they sell on to uh, the six biggest chocolate companies. Those six chocolate companies produce 80% of the world's cocoa. Well, except for Lint, they do bean to bar. Everybody else uses one of those processors. We're working with them to make sure they've got... Uh, in process, uh, company, chocolate company, processor company, ones that check that, that work on building up the farmers and helping them to actually get a living income. Most of slavery in the world happens because of the poverty that people are in. The trade is in people, but the currency is hope. When they're in desperate situations, they try to get, how do we find something better? Generally, it's not just for them, it's for my family and people. Oh, we think generally about the sex industry, it's about 15% of it, but it gets that much publicity. Anything to do with sex always gets publicity. But when we take manufacturing and agriculture and aquaculture, it's that much of slavery that gets about that much of publicity. And that's what we're trying to turn about. And that's why if this Modern Slavery Act goes through Parliament, we're going to have a chance to gather around and say, as a nation, 
we can do this. We can make a difference. Churches and people in Australia have been sending postcards, have been sending petitions, have been contacting their local members. And sometimes you just plant seeds. I was saying to Callum as we were driving here, we started doing these things called lobby labs, which actually teaches people the democratic process. It's such a gift that we have. I work in so many countries, of the 46 countries around the world, the majority of them do not have anything near the free elections that we have. It is a privilege that we really should. Uh, we are one of the uh, countries in the, in the Western world, that uh, developed world, that has um, uh, voting as compulsory. I'm completely sold on how good that is. Uh, there's a responsibility that comes with being a citizen. And so what we've started to see is, uh, you know, we're, we're teaching people about, here's how you do it, here's how you contact a politician. We got into uh, uh, a senator, she got pinged for double, uh, it's insane technicality, for, for dual membership, uh, and uh, Sky Kokoschke Moore. And so we said, tell us, Sky, uh, what was it like as a politician? When someone came to talk to you about these things, what, was it, what do you look for? So we did this brilliant interview with her. She's so articulate. She's the Centre Alliance, uh, what was Nick Xenophon party. She was great working now for a national justice mission. And so um, we, we taught people. So these two people, only two people turned up to this lobby lab in North Brisbane. I thought, oh, well, size doesn't matter. Planting seeds. I'm a youth worker. I understand that. <laughs> and so we, we sort of did the full session. I did the full session with them. And afterwards they said, you know what? This is incredible. We had no idea of what was going on. But we can do something about this as a church. So they got together, and Sunday before, uh, Saturday before last, they put on a, a fair trade uh, fair. 1,500 people came through, and we had something like 500 postcards to the Prime Minister to say, please give us uh, a, a robust modern slavery act that we can make a difference. Can you see the power that God gives us? Can you see the capacity that we have, the amazing thing is we can do it. William Wilberforce is our hero. And after preaching some amazing sermons, after doing some brilliant speeches in Parliament, he realised he's getting nowhere. The Clapham sect gathered together, and the Clapham sect were made up of clergy and politicians and artists, old man Wedgwood, you know Wedgwood pottery? Through this plate, which became the icon that they used of an African man on his knees in chains and underneath is written, am I not a man? Am I not your brother? That turned people's imagination. You see, if we believe in the fatherhood of God, we believe that every person on earth is our brother and our sister. We look out for them. This is the heart of God that comes through from the scriptures. This is what we can do to allow God's kingdom to break in in powerful ways. And we do it. The only way we're going to do it is together. Uh, I was telling Callum the story coming here. Uh, Steve Chalk, who as uh, the United Nations um, uh, ambassador, advisor on community-based campaigning. Uh, I said, couldn't you have come up with a shorter name? Uh, and uh, he was in New York at, at, at one of the um, United Nations meetings in Manhattan. He was up Man walked up Manhattan, uh, up through 5th, 6th Street, and it started to snow. And uh, any of you been to Hong Kong, uh, been to uh, New York? It's a crazy place. 
honking of, of, of car horns and people yelling at each other and screeches of brakes, etc. And the traffic, you know, uh, boy, it's quicker to walk most time, but the traffic just goes and goes and goes. And as the snowflakes started to come down, they hit the ground and they started to melt. But they kept on coming and they kept on coming and, and the ground got a bit colder. And so uh, after a while, a, a white film started to be in the ground. People got underneath the, uh, the verandas uh, and the covers from the shops to get out of the snow because it's starting to get cold now. And then it built up more and more and more and more until eventually all those tiny, microscopic, almost little uh, uh, snowflakes all piled on top of each other and piled on top of each other and piled on top of each other until those little snowflakes stopped the traffic. Stopped the traffic. That's what we can do together. <laughs> Matt Friedman, who uh, is in Hong Kong, American, uh, was the United Nations uh, head of human trafficking across the Asia-Pacific region, and we have 70 to 75% in our region, in our backyard of slavery. Indo-Asian region, that's where we are the absolute majority, and that's where we have our biggest trade partners. And so, uh, Matt, uh, 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 amazing man, wonderful heart, bit unorthodox, he had some heavies in the United Nations come to him and say, you need to brief us. You need to help us to understand slavery. Oh, yeah? How long you got? We've got four hours. Four hours. Okay. We want to completely brief. Okay. Come at 8 o'clock in the morning. Came to the office at 8 o'clock in the morning. Come down with me. Went into the room. Wait here. He went out. He locked the door. And he left them there for four hours in the, in the room, locked in. Came back after four hours and they were furious. Some had to go to the toilet, some sort of, you know, hadn't had a coffee for four hours and were having the shakes. And they were furious with him. He goes, welcome to 101. Just a tiny taste of what slavery is like. And he picked it up when he was working in Nepal. And uh, uh, he started then to say, we've got to collect these stories and understand it. So he went around with two others collecting stories of people who come out of slavery. And they went to one place, which was the halfway house. In the halfway house, uh, they collected a number of stories, the people, horrific stories of being caught in slavery, abused, etc. And there's one girl who they said, the staff said, oh, she's, she's one of the worst off. She has one of the most horrific stories. But no, she wouldn't tell them the story. They wouldn't tell them the story. They were about to leave. She said, OK, I'll tell you my story. They went to a room. The three of them sat one side, she sat the other. And for three and a half hours, with her head down, never looking in the eye, she told the most horrific story of being raped ten times a day. Uh, completely dehumanised, abused, and then tossed out at the end. At the end, and, and Matt says it's one of the worst stories he'd ever heard. At the end, he said to her, after trying to think, well, what the heck do you say? I've been listening to three and a half hours to a story like that. So he kind of, kind of bumbled, blurted out, you, you, you must be really angry to those men and women that did that to you. And with that, she looked at, and she looked at all three of them in the eye. She said, I'm not angry with those men and women that did that. They're bad people. That's what bad people do. I'm angry at you, and I'm angry at you, and I'm angry at you. Where were the good people when I was going through that? Dear good people, 
Can you hear the Spirit speaking into your heart about this injustice? Can you sense the heart of God with the compassion that God has for these people being destroyed, their freedom is taken away, everything that was the gift of God to them as human beings made in the image of God. This, this, dear snowflakes, is what God can do in us and can do through us because the church is God's best strategy. So what's it all about? What are we here for? Listen, O Australia. Listen, O nations of the world. There is only one God and God is one. We are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. And the second is like the first. Do you get that? Isn't that fascinating? The second is like the first. It is to love your neighbour as you love yourself. And one of the few times a scholar or teacher does not have an argument with Jesus, he says, well done. Well done. It's one of the few times we ever get one of those people actually going, oh, Jesus, yeah, you got it together there. Yeah, it's right. It's all wrapped up into that. And as James reminds us, like Wilberforce discovered, it's not about great sermons and speeches, it's about actions. Wilberforce got nowhere until he could say to people, don't put that sugar in your tea, it's made from the blood of the backs of the slaves in West Indies. And people went, we could do that. We could do that. And that started the first abolition movement that came out of the evangelical churches in England that changed the world. America had a civil war over slavery. It changed America. It changed the world. And it's time again for the second great abolitionist movement, Snowflakes, for us to join together as God's people with all those who would bring in God's justice, who have God's heart for compassion to make a difference in this world. Amen? Amen. So let it be.